Hey, how are you guys doing? Good? Well, hey, we're doing this uh, four-week thing on heaven and hell, and we're kicking off heaven today. Um, and I am going to be talking about the heaven that you go to when you die. And I want to, before we begin, just clarify something that maybe a lot of you don't know or haven't been taught, is that when a Christian dies, they go to this place called heaven. It's this intermediate place. Whoa, this is really bright. Sorry, I don't mean to stop and do that, but can you turn those down a bit? So heaven is this intermediate place that when you die, you, you go if you love Jesus, if you're a Christian. But it's not the place you're going to be forever. This world is not our home, but one day it will be. God's going to, Jesus is going to come back down with everybody that's died and gone to heaven. And he's going to bring heaven with him. And that's called the new heavens and the new earth or the new Jerusalem. And that's what Brad's going to be talking about next week. And so you need to understand there's a difference. There's probably not a lot of... Um, disunity between the heaven that exists now and the new heavens and the new earth, but it's not the same thing. And so Brad's going to talk about the new heavens and the new earth next week, and I'm talking about where Christians go when they die now. So I hope that makes sense, and that's a big distinction that we need to understand. Otherwise, you might be a little lost as I go on. We're going to be in a lot of different passages because there's not one great passage that talks about Heaven. So we're going to be all over. And I put on your notes, basically, not an outline of my talk, but a lot of things that I might not get to. And I'll mention the other handout on the Bible cart that you'll want to pick up when you leave. So mainly what I want to ask you to do is, is not take a ton of notes. I want you to listen. And I, if you have a Bible, I want you to grab your own Bible and look at, look at it yourself. Um, if you cannot resist taking notes, then by all means, go ahead. I'm not going to yell at you. And if you did grab one of those bigger sheets, please don't read them while I'm talking. That'll be really distracting and you'll miss uh, a lot of stuff because I'm not talking about anything that's on that big sheet of paper. Well, I wanted to mention something about hell first. We've been talking about hell for two weeks and we want you to know so much that not wanting to go to hell is not enough to get you into heaven. You can't be so scared of hell that you go to heaven. And on the other hand, you can't just want heaven enough that you get to go to heaven. People who love Jesus go to heaven. You don't go to heaven because you don't want hell, and you don't go to heaven because you want heaven. You go to heaven because you love Jesus. And so that's the most important thing. If, if Jesus is your Savior, if he is the one who has um, lived your life and died your death, and if you've received that by faith, then you go to heaven. But you don't go to heaven because you don't want to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. And if you say, well, I don't care. I don't really want to be with God. You don't want the hell that the Bible talks about. You don't want the hell that Brad and, and Ryan have been talking about for the last two weeks. You don't want that. You don't want that. And I want to go to heaven because I love Jesus. Because I want to be with him. And if, and if you can identify that then, or with that, then you'll see that throughout the talk. And if you, don't, if you don't know what that's about, I hope that you do by the time I'm done. One pastor in the 1800s, he put it this way. He said, if you don't love Jesus, what would, you want, what would you want to do in heaven? Its joys would be no joys for you. In other words, if you don't want Jesus, it would be hell for you. If you don't love him now, you don't want to be with him forever. But we hope, I hope that, that at least by the end of tonight or maybe this week or at some point in your life, you say, yeah, I love Jesus. I want him. And heaven is... It's just where he is. It's not about the benefits. It's not about no sin. It's not about no pain. It's not about no suffering. And actually, 
If you can imagine all of those great things without Jesus, then you're not, and I say this like as I'm loving you, you're not going there. If you want all the benefits of heaven without Christ, you're not going to be in heaven when you die. That's not what heaven's about. Heaven's about being with Jesus. Well, what does the Bible say about heaven? It says a ton. Heaven is on almost every page of the Bible in some way or another. But here's, here's a couple things. Three things, actually. Heaven is where God lives. Isaiah 66, 1 says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. So we have this picture of like God sitting on his throne with his feet kicked up on earth. Heaven is where God lives. Second thing is heaven is perfectly holy. Isaiah 6, 3. Isaiah talks a lot about heaven, by the way. Um, Isaiah says, he's looking at God in heaven. He says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So heaven is holy. There's, there's nothing bad about heaven. It's perfect. There's no sin. There's no stain. There's no darkness. It's all perfect. And the third thing, heaven is where Christians go immediately when they die. Heaven is where Christians go immediately when they die. You probably are familiar with the story of the thief on the cross, and if you're not, I'll tell it really quick. Easter's coming up, but on Good Friday, Jesus died, and when Jesus died, he was crucified between two criminals, and there was one criminal uh, on his left, and he was berating Jesus and mocking Jesus and making fun of Jesus, and then the criminal on his right turned to Jesus and said, well, he turned to the criminal and he said, don't you know who this is? Don't you know that he's the son of God? And he looked at Jesus and he said, and this is in Luke, I have it on your outline, Luke 23, 39 through 43. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus looked at him with his hands outstretched on the cross. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus didn't go to hell when he died on the cross. He's looking at this dying man and he says, you believe in me. You, who's never, you've never been baptized, you've never been to church, you probably never studied your Bible, you've stolen your whole life, but on your, on your deathbed you say, I believe in you, Jesus. Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, today, in a few minutes when I die, you're gonna be with me. And those other passages on the outline say the same thing. To be away from the body Paul says in 2 Corinthians, is to be with the Lord. And so what happens when we die is we're in some kind of a state where our body goes into the ground, goes into the, into the grave where you're cremated, but our spirit goes to heaven. And the Bible doesn't say how it works. It, it doesn't say what we'll look like. I'm sure we'll still resemble our, ourselves, but we won't have a, this body. God loves our bodies. He loves the earth, and that's what the whole new earth and uh, new heavens and new earth is about. He's going to restore creation. It's all going to be perfect. But when we die, we, our bodies are left in the ground. And as we're in heaven, we're, we're waiting. Jesus, when are you going to come back? Because we want you to restore our bodies so that they're perfect and they're whole. There's no more scars. There's no more zits. There's no more pains. There's no more anything bad. It's going to be perfect. So that's a, another key thing to remember. When we die we go to be with the Lord immediately and the opposite is if you die and you don't love Jesus you go to hell immediately well how should you think about heaven I want you to think about heaven in terms of kingdom 
You need to think about heaven in terms of kingdom. And I'm just going to walk through basically the story of the Bible in about 90 seconds, maybe a little bit longer, maybe five minutes, who knows. In the beginning, what do we see in Genesis? Somebody shout it out if they know the name of the place. Eden. We see Eden. Eden is this garden kingdom that God made, and he put two people there. Who did he, who did he put there? I feel like interacting tonight. I don't know why. So he put Adam and Eve. He puts his people in his place, Eden, under his rule. God is king. He rules these people. He rules them. He tells Adam, I want you to work and keep the land. I want you to do things, and I, I have one rule in my kingdom. Don't eat that tree that you're supposed to avoid. And what do they do? They eat the tree. And so what does God do? He boots them out of the kingdom. You can't live in this kingdom, God says, because you're not perfect. And I'm a perfect God and my kingdom's in perfect place. And what we see in Eden is a picture of heaven. It's heaven on earth. It's paradise. It's perfect. There was was eating, but there was no overeating. If there was wine, there was no drunkenness. Marriage was perfect. Friendship was perfect. Animals weren't afraid of humans and humans weren't afraid of animals. It was a perfect place. It was heaven on earth. But Adam and Eve sinned, and so they were kicked out of the garden. And then Abraham comes along in Genesis 12. And God chooses Abraham, and he says, you're going to be my man. You're going to be my man to raise up a nation and build a kingdom. This is going to be a kingdom of people. You are going to be the father of many nations. And if you guys grew up in church, you know the Father Abraham song, right? I won't sing it for you. I'll spare you. But you know Abraham was the father of many nations people. He was the father of a nation. He was the father of a kingdom. He promised Abraham land. He said, I'm going to give you promised land. I'm going to give you a land that you'll come into. And it took hundreds of years before it got there. And then Moses and Joshua come onto the scene. They were, the Israelites were in Egypt. Moses led them out of Egypt. And then Joshua led them into the promised land. But what happened when they got in the promised land? Israel sinned. They failed. They were idolaters. They didn't love God. And so God brought them into this place, the promised land, and they sinned. And just like Adam and Eve, God said, can't live in my kingdom. Thousands of years later, Israel wants a king. They're back in the promised land. And Saul Saul was their first king. And God said, you're actually rebelling against me as your king. And Saul wasn't a good king. And then Saul died, and then David came. And David's a great king, and David's the king that the people wanted, but he's not a perfect king, and and he died. And then Solomon was born, David's son. Solomon has a great reign, and the kingdom splits, and there's two kingdoms. So it's not a perfect kingdom. It's not a united kingdom. And then they suffer suffer, um, sin and, and more idolatry, and they're booted out of the kingdom. They fail to obey. And then the prophets come along and the prophets say, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that comes. And everybody in Israel, what they thought that meant was the kingdom's going to be restored to Israel. It's going to be perfect. There's not going to be any problems. There's not going to be any sin. And then here comes Jesus in the New Testament. And the first thing he says is Mark 115. Many people think this is one of the first things he announced. He said, the time is fulfilled. In your Bible, in the NIV, it'll say the time has come. That's not a really great translation. What it means is 
the time is fulfilled. Everything that's been promised, this promise of a kingdom, this promise of a, a great king, this promise of perfection, newness, new creation, Jesus says has come. Repent and believe the gospel. In Matthew 4.17, Matthew writes it like this. He says, repent, Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what Jesus is saying is that I'm heaven, I'm the kingdom, I'm, I've come to earth. Everything you've been waiting for, everything you've been wanting in heaven is in me and I've, I've come to you. So the way to get into this kingdom is perfection and Jesus comes as this perfect king. Adam failed to live obediently in the garden so God kicked him out. Israel failed to live obediently in the promised land so God kicked him out. And then here comes Jesus as the Adam who obeyed and the Israel who obeyed. And he lived our life and he died our death so that we could enter into the kingdom. And so when Jesus talks about, the, talks about heaven in the Bible, he's not talking about a place where you go sit on a cloud in a diaper and play a harp. That's what you think of, right? When you think of like the cartoon heaven, what do you think of? You think of, man, I'm going to sit on, that sounds like hell to me. Like, that's awful. Like, I've seen diapers, and I don't want to be in one for eternity. I, pl- I don't want to play a harp. I'm terrible at music. It would be awful. So Jesus isn't talking about some state where you can't think and you don't know things. Heaven is going to be a lot like earth. Actually, we were t- I was talking with Brad earlier, and Brad just said, you know, it's probably going to be a lot like this, but perfect. So it's going to be totally different. But it's going to be the same. There's going to be unity and distinction. There's going to be similarity and dissimilarity. It's going to be like life, perfect. And we can't even imagine. We can't even begin to imagine what perfect life is like. So how do we get into the kingdom? Perfection. Who accomplished that perfection for us? Jesus did. It's the only way we get to heaven. It's the only way we get to the kingdom of heaven. So when you hear kingdom and or kingdom of heaven and heaven, you have to think they're the same thing. Jesus brought heaven down, and he's going to bring it again someday. He's going to bring it in all its fullness. We'll turn to Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus came preaching the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So, he's preaching this kingdom. And in Matthew, I could have picked a ton of passages um, to preach from, I just picked this one because it gives us a, an idea of what Jesus wanted us to want. He wanted us to want him, not heaven. And so in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, we'll read it quick. It's only three verses. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, why did, did we not prophesy in your name? Which means preach. He's saying, did we not preach in your name? And in your name, did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I just want you to notice four things about this. First, what does it mean to do the will of the Father who's in heaven? Turn to John 6. 
John 6, 50. What does it mean to do the will of the Father in heaven? And actually, this is really random, but I just thought, I said that Israel got kicked out of the promised land twice, and that was wrong. I don't know why I said that. You probably don't even know I said that, but I did. So I just wanted to get that on the record for the CD, and I'm not a heretic, and I, yeah, anyway. <laughs> okay, that was, I'm sorry. We don't have time for that. John 6.50, John 6.50. And I'm reading it in a different version, so I'm sorry, it's going to be different. I don't have the NIV um, up here with me. Um, For this is the will of my Father. So here, this is the will of God. This is the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. I will raise Him up on the last day. So what is the will of the Father? That if you believe, you will have eternal life. You will have heaven you will have heaven and you will, I will raise him up on the last day. When I come back, you will get a new body. You don't have to turn to this next one, but it's John eight fifty one. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What is the will of the Father? It's to keep the word of God. It's to keep the word of Jesus. So Jesus says, you keep my word, you won't die. If you take a, your last breath on earth, The next breath you breathe will be the air of heaven. You won't see death. Second, what does not, excuse me, what does knowing Jesus not mean? What does knowing Jesus not mean? Knowing Jesus does not mean doing spiritual things for Jesus. Look in verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? So Jesus is saying, just because you do spiritual things for me doesn't mean I like you. I don't like you just because you come to Oasis. The Father's saying, I'm not pleased with you just because you read your Bible. The Father's saying, I'm pleased with you because I'm pleased with my son and you believe in my son. My son's perfect. You can never be perfect. Second thing, knowing Jesus does not mean wanting gifts more than the giver. If these people didn't want Jesus, if, if they didn't know him and they were doing all these things, they obviously weren't doing them for Jesus. They were doing them for some other reason. Maybe it was for fame. Maybe it was for money. In other words, they were doing things for blessings. They wanted the blessings. They didn't want the blesser. I mean, you could think about this in your own life, in your own relationships. Like, if you have a best friend or maybe you're dating your boyfriend and girlfriend, like, you, you love that person for them and if you don't, they figure it out pretty quick, Right? And like, man, you just use me. You just, you just want me for the blessings that I give you. Or you could see this with your parents, and you probably wrestle with this, where you're like, man, my parents give me some nice stuff. Do I love them because they give me things, or do I love them because they're my parents? And so in our relationship with God, Jesus is saying, no, it's not about what you do for me, because I don't need you to do anything for me. And it's not about what I can give you. It's about me. You want the kingdom, but not the king. You just want to be a part of the kingdom. You want the blessings of the kingdom, but you don't actually want the king. In Matthew 13, 44, um, and you can write this down. Don't have to turn there. But Jesus says, he's talking about the kingdom kingdom again. So if you want to read about the kingdom of heaven, read Matthew. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So Jesus is saying, 
he's the kingdom of heaven, right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm, I'm here. I'm finally here. And then he says, this man finds the kingdom. He gets rid of everything so that he can buy this. He's like, I'm getting rid of all distractions. I'm getting rid of anything that will hold me back to, to, to lay hold of this, this kingdom, this treasure. So Jesus is saying, I'm a treasure. I'm not, I'm not here to give you treasures. I'm not, here to, I'm not here to give you a really great, easy life. I'm here to give you me. It's about a person. It's, it's a really old thing to say about Christianity. It's about a relationship. It's kind of corny, but it's true. It's about me, Jesus is saying. Third thing, what, is Jesus, what does knowing Jesus mean? We've already seen it's pretty simple. It means you believe the words of Jesus. That's what it means to know him. It means you believe his words. In John 6, Jesus had a ton of disciples, and he had said some weird things. He had said, you need to eat my body and drink my blood, and that's what it means. And he's talking about believing in his death. And so a lot of people were like, this is a hard saying. It's a weird saying. Are you a cannibal, weird king, savior? We're leaving. And so then Jesus looks at his 12 disciples, and he says, are you going to leave me too? And then, Je- and then Peter looks at him. God bless Peter's heart. He always is the first one to speak up. And he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have believed that you are the Son of God and that you have the words of eternal life. And so there's a connection between Jesus and his words. If he's God, and what he's, if he's God then what he speaks is true. But it's not just true. These words are life-giving. And so to know Jesus means to believe his words. It means when you open up your Bible in the morning and you read something and you say, man, I believe this. I believe this more than what I hear on TV or what I hear on the radio or what I hear on my iPod. This is truth. This is God giving me food to eat for my spirit. That's, it's hard to explain, but you're, you're saying, I, I believe this. I believe his words. I believe that when he said he died for my sins, he did. And it paid the penalty. It's finished. I believe, I believe that. Fourth thing. What does it mean for Jesus to say, I never knew you? It means that Jesus will one day exercise judgment on everybody. It means one day Jesus will exercise judgment on everybody. He will say, there will be people in this room he will look at and he say, I never knew you. Depart from me. You can't enter my heaven. You can't come into my kingdom. It's a sobering thing to think about. The point of this, the point of this little passage is Jesus is saying, you're either for me or against me. You can't be in the middle. And if you read that whole chapter of 7 in Matthew, you see that at the end, he paints four twos. Four twos. There's two ways to do things, and he says it four times. Each way, it's getting to the point of, you're either for me or against me. There's a, there, I, can't, I don't know if I know all four of them, but there's a good tree and a bad tree. There's a good prophet here and a bad prophet. There's a good foundation and a bad foundation. I don't remember the fourth one, but the point is, you're either for me or against me. There's no middle ground. You want to be in the kingdom? Then you're for me. You're not for what I give you. You're for me. So heaven, in this kingdom of heaven, it's perfect. There's not going to be a government that screws it up. There's not going to be people who make terrible votes and screw it up. There's not going to be corrupt police officers. There's not going to be crime. So heaven is awesome. 
And Jesus brought it in himself. That's why he never sinned. And so wherever he's at, it's perfect. And so if you were to die tonight and you're a Christian, you're going to go to this awesome country, this awesome city that you never thought was possible. Like think about it. Think about a perfect, think about a perfect United States where everybody gets along and everybody works as hard as they can. And the president is perfect and he never makes a mistake. You can't even imagine it, but that's what heaven's going to be like. So it's not this place where you don't think and you just sit on a cloud and play a harp for eternity. It's a place where God is ruling and his people are there enjoying him. And whatever jobs he gives, whatever we do, we are doing it for the glory of God and we are enjoying Jesus. Yeah, amen. Great. (laughs) Amen. Well, to end, I just want to close with one question. I have a handout for you. It's two pages. We have about 100 of them. I hope you all take it. There's more than 100 people here. But there's like eight things on there, um, questions about heaven. And and I hope you take it, and I hope you read it. Um, There are things that you all ask and that I don't have the time to answer. But I want to touch on one thing that um, the guy in that article doesn't talk about. I want to address purgatory really quick. I know that um, if you were at Fall Retreat, Ed Noble might have talked about it, but maybe here's a little refresher. How does all this fit with purgatory? Everything I said, does it have anything to do with purgatory? Purgatory is basically the Catholic doctrine that says once you die, you go to this place of purgation or purging, purification. And actually, I looked up their official doctrine. It's in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Part 1, Section 2, Chapter 3, Point point 1030 here's what it says all who die in God's grace and friendship but still imperfectly purified are indeed assured of their eternal salvation but after death they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven the church also commends almsgiving indulgences and the work of penance undertaken on behalf of of the dead. So basically what this says is if you are in if you're on good terms with God and you die, you're not ready for heaven. And so people on the other side can give money and and make penance, which means punishment. They punish themselves in some way in order for you to get to heaven. They might light a candle at a Catholic church and pray for you and they might give extra money in the offering plate so that you can get to heaven because they said you're not ready to go. Who can be ready to go after all? Who can be ready to go to heaven? But this violates two things, and I put them on your card. It violates justification by grace through faith. Justification is a fancy word for to be acceptable or to be made right. Basically, it says you're not justified by grace, a gift, through faith, something you believe. You're justified by works. You're justified by other people's works for you. But in Romans 3, it says We're justified by grace as a gift from God. He gives it to us and we receive it. Second thing it violates, it goes against the fact that Scripture says we're cleansed once and for all through Christ's work on the cross. When Christ died for you and when you receive that, You are pure. You are perfectly pure. God looks at you. He doesn't see a spot. That doesn't mean in your practice every day you're perfect. Of course you're not. But when you die and God looks at you and he says, man, I see my son. Welcome. And then at the final judgment, after the new creation comes, when the new creation comes, when you're judged, you're going to cry. And then Jesus is going to wipe away your tears. 
And that's what, that's what Brad's going to talk about next week because you're going to know, I didn't do one good work. And Jesus is saying, I did it. I did your works for you. You are saved by works, by Jesus' works. He was perfect. What was the other work he did? He died on a cross for you. All you do is believe in that. That's how you enter the kingdom of heaven. I gotta wrap up quick, but just a few things by way of conclusion. Tying heaven and hell together. Jesus took all the pangs of hell on the cross so that you could have heaven, so that you could have him, so that you could go to heaven and you could enjoy fellowship with him forever. So he took hell for you on the cross so that you could have heaven. Heaven means relationship with God. Heaven means knowing God. Heaven means experiencing joy in God. Think about this, Psalm 73. Can you say, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can you say that? Or do you really want the benefits? Do you want all the awesomeness of heaven? But you could really give a rip about Jesus. And let me, let me remind you again, if that's you, you're not going to heaven. That's not what Christianity is. We're called Christians, not heavenians. We, we love Jesus and we want to be with him. So can you say that? God, if everything fails me, I have you. I have you. And then one more thing, a quote from C.S. Lewis. These really aren't like, I mean, you can't go and do anything after a talk on heaven. It's not like you can go practice being in heaven. So, but things to think about here. The last one is a quote from C.S. Lewis, and it's a pretty famous one if you've read anything by him. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, for those of you who don't know. He said, look for yourself and you'll find nothing, uh, excuse me, look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and you will get everything else thrown in. You will have all the blessings you want, but they really won't matter because Jesus is the blessing that you want. He's, he's the one that Christians want. You'll get everything that heaven has to offer, but you get it because Jesus is there and you'll enjoy it because Jesus is the one giving it to you and he's the one you're enjoying it with. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to the joys of heaven, that we would see that Jesus came to bring heaven to earth in himself, that he is the perfect king that we have always longed for. I pray that we would see him as the perfect human who accomplished the obedience for us that we could never accomplish. And he opened the door to the kingdom of heaven through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And God, I pray that we would receive Jesus, that Christians and non-Christians in the room right now would receive Jesus, not just his kingdom. We're not, we're not looking for place we're looking for a person and lord we meet you we meet you father in the person of jesus he's the place where we meet god and so god would we as we go to our life groups would you draw our attention to christ would the would the extra details about heaven just fade off in the distance and when we would we put our focus on jesus in his name we pray amen